But the kids want to come on up. And we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. I'm going to ask you guys to come and gather around the table, around the Advent wreath today first. And then after we're done lighting the candles, then you can go and sit back down on the front pew. Remember, we don't touch the table. We just look. Now, don't touch the table. We just look. Okay, the very first Sunday was the Sunday of hope. That was two weeks ago. Last week was the Sunday of peace. And that was, that's that one. But today, we have a choice of either love or joy. Joy. It's joy because we talked about that last week, didn't we? And if you remember, the candles for an Advent wreath are always purple. Now, we have white candles inside purple glass, but... These are purple, but there's always one candle that's pink color or rose color. It's always, always, always the joy candle. And the third Sunday in Advent is always the joy Sunday. Now, I want to talk to you about joy, but I want you to go sit down for just a minute on the front pew. Or we'll do that one at the very end. I'll show you that uh, in a couple. T- well, show, we'll talk about it next week. How's that? I'll tell you what it is next yeah. week. Now, what did I say today was? What's today? Joy. The joy Sunday. What is joy? Do you know what joy is? What is joy? Joy means you're not here. Joy means it's peaceful. Joy means peaceful. Bacon said joy means peaceful. Does anybody else have a thought about what joy might be? Happiness. Happiness. Peaceful. Happiness. Anything else? Excited. Excited. That's a good thought. Well, you know, when people feel joy or experience joy, it's because, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. Huh? Calm. Calm could be a part of me. But, yes, she. Peace. Peace. Good job. All right. Well, when people experience joy, it's because certain things are happening in their life. Now, you guys know how to spell joy? Yeah. How do you spell it? J-O-Y. J-O-Y. I need three volunteers to come up here. One, Shane, and, and uh, Tihan. Okay, so Tihan, you stand here. Shane, stand here in front of me. And all you're right here. Now, this is how you spell joy. J-O-Y, right? Hold it up so everyone can see. J-O-Y spells joy. J-O-Y. Now, some people say that you can actually make the letters stand for a word. What word do you think might start with the letter J? Um, Jesus. Jesus. What word could start with the letter O? Others. Other people. And Y could be you. So if you have Jesus first, and then others second, and then you last, you can have joy. Now, what happens if we put Jesus last and we put others first and we put you in the middle? So if others are first and then you and then Jesus, what do we have? Oij. That doesn't make sense. You never put others and then you and then Jesus last. That would be oij. But if we did this, what if we put others? Don't bump into each other. What if we put, what if we put you first and then others, and then Jesus. Then we have Yach. That doesn't make any sense. You never.
never put you first, ever. Never, never, never. You is always last. Always. And then you put Jesus first, always. And others. Now, you know what? Then it spells joy. If you do that, if you put Jesus first, then others, then you, then you, you will always have joy. And you know why we know that? Because when Jesus was asked what was the very greatest commandment that God ever asked us to do, he said we needed to love God with our whole heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and then we are to love others as we love ourselves. God first, then love others, then love yourself. And if you get it out of order, you don't have joy in your life. Okay, you guys can go sit down with your folks. Actually, you can go back into the room and work on your Christmas presentation, aren't you? Okay. All right, you can take those back with you if you want. Thank you guys for helping. Oi, oi, oi. Forgive me, I don't have it all set up. Come on. Get my life together here. All right. In the Bible, during this time of the year, Luke chapter 2 is a prominent passage of scripture that we look at um, at Christmas time. So Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to look right now. If you want to grab your Bibles and join me, Luke is the third book in the New Testament. Chapter 2 is the story of the birth of Christ. Verse 1 says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be registered. This was the first registration where Quirinius was governor in Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went to be registered with his wife Mary, his, with his betrothed Mary, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to their firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in the manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them up into heaven, the angel, the shepherds said to one to one to another, Well, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, 
He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And if you go back up to verse 10, it's a very, very famous verse. I mean, Linus said it in the Charlie Brown Christmas. The angel said to the shepherds, fear not, for I evangelize you to joy. That's literally what it means. If you go to the Greek and you translate it word for word, it says, the angel said to the shepherd, don't be afraid. I evangelize you to joy. What? That I was I was really intrigued as I read that, because for me, in my Western mindset, evangelizing has a negative connotation. People always, I don't want, I don't want to go out and evangelize because that means I have to be intrusive into people's lives. I don't want to go knocking on doors, doing cold calling. Hi, do you know Jesus? Did you know you were a sinner? Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life. Now I'm not putting down anyone who does that, but I am telling you from my personal experience, it has always been hard for me to say I want to go out and evangelize because I always feel like I'm being intrusive into somebody else's life and it's, it's perceived that I will be, re, I will be rejected as a result of my attempt to evangelize them. But the reality is what this is literally saying. The, the angels, when they said, we, I evangelize you to joy is I am bringing you the greatest news you could have ever heard and it's going to fill you with so much joy. That's what the angel was saying to them. Because the word evangelize means good news. To proclaim, to declare, to give good news. Now, if you were to come home and say you were married and living with your spouse or say that you have someone in your home and in your life you're very close to and you said, I've got such great news. I just found out blah, blah, blah. And they go, woohoo, that's great. Wonderful. Yay. That's evangelizing. Honey, I just got a raise at work. We're now going to be making $25 more an hour. Woohoo! And the spouse is going, yeah! Great news! You just evangelized your spouse to joy. Do you see how we got it all wrong in our mindset? Especially this time of year. This is the easiest time of year to speak the truth. And not feel like you're being offensive to anybody because everyone's going, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. You go, I evangelize you to joy. What? Well, let me tell you what that means. Did you know that God loved you enough that he sent his only son so that you could live with God forever? Woohoo! I evangelize you to joy. Now, what is joy? Craig, bring up that first slide. What is joy? Now, you heard me talk to the kids about what is joy and some of them, and I wasn't in any way, I did not negate anything that they said. I didn't try to correct anything. I just let them share what they thought. I'm going to do differently with you. Because <laughs> you got to get it right. They're just forming themselves right now. They're just learning this stuff. You should have this under your belt. And if you don't, this is what this is about. We're going to try and correct some of the, the stinking thinking. 
Okay? Now, what is joy? Now, I don't want you to raise your hand and say it, but I want you to think for yourself, what is joy? If you had to, if your child came to you and said, Pastor Bob was talking about today being the joy day, what does that mean? What is joy? What would you say to your child? What would you say to your neighbor? What would you say to your friend? Now, you heard one of the kids said calm, didn't they? I would never have thought calm for joy. Not because that that was necessarily wrong. I'm not saying that they were right or wrong. I, I don't, I would never have used that myself. Because joy for me is, all of a sudden something's welling up inside of me. It's like, woohoo! That's not calm. That's excitement. That's, wah! Now happiness, I think Audrey was the one that said happiness. Happiness and, and joy, if you look, are almost interchangeable. Someone else said um, peace. Mm, I wouldn't say peace. I would say the peace that I receive from God could make joy well up in me. But joy is not peace. Joy is this, ex- this ecstatic, this excited, this happy woohoo. And so for me, what is joy? Bring up the next slide. The joy is. Okay, my thing is going to be. A little bit funny here. Okay, I'm going to go one ahead so that I always have it. Joy is, I want to talk to you this morning, it is a state of being. Joy is also an action that we do. And joy is also a choice. So bring up the first one, a state of being. Think about this. When I say to you, joy is a state of being, do you do anything in this? No. You experience joy. It is, if you will, put on you, but it is not something that you grab. It's not something you pick up and put on for yourself. Okay? So this idea of joy being a state of being, where do we get this? Go to the very next slide, Craig. Mm -hmm. Galatians chapter 5. Verses 22 to 23 tells us that when God, the Holy Spirit, comes and resides in us, we begin to see as we become more and more and more Christ-like and more and more and more as as followers of Jesus, we become more filled with God. We have the fruit of the Spirit, which grows out of us. This is not something we we do. This is something that God does in us. There is love. There is joy. There is peace. There is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, joy. Now, let's talk about this state of being called joy that is a fruit of the Spirit. Is it good thinking or bad thinking that if someone said to you, Oh, you're in right relationship with God. You now have a Savior named Jesus. The Holy Spirit of God is present with you. Everything I'm saying so far is is orthodox, correct? It's all good Christian theology. So therefore... Every single person who has Christ in their life, who has the Holy Spirit present and is experiencing the fruit of the Spirit will never be unhappy. Why is that wrong? Now, I'm not, I'm not asking you to answer out loud, but think about it. Why is that wrong? Why is that not a correct orthodox statement? Because if indeed God gives us joy, When God comes into our life, why do we still experience sadness or hurt or disappointment? And I would submit to you 
that the definition of saying that joy and happiness are the same is slightly askew. It's not wrong, but it's slightly askew. Happiness is more a response to good things happening and I'm happy, I, you know, it's, it, but joy can be a, st a stable, solid foundation experience that you, that you have regardless of the circumstances around you. Does that make sense? Now, I can be happy that I got a $25 raise, but I can also be joy-filled that I lost $25 an hour. I may be crying at the same time, but that doesn't negate necessarily the joy that God brings into my life as a fruit of the Spirit. So this idea of joy being an, an act of... Uh, 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 start again. Sorry. And a state of being, there's this idea that Excuse me. That it it can continue even when bad brick comes into my life. Now, bring up the next slide, Craig. Uh, bring, the internet and I were not friends this morning. Go to the next slide. We're going to come back to this one. Habakkuk, chapter one, verse thirteen. Habakkuk is a chapter that nobody reads. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the old. I mean, it's in the minor prophets. I want you to turn to it this morning because we're going to be looking at two different passages this morning, and it's important that you actually read it with me. So Habakkuk, um, it's H A B A K K U K. If you really can't find it, turn to your table of contents in the beginning, and look what page it's on. In my Bible, it's on page thirteen eighty five. It comes right after Nahum. There's Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, then Habakkuk, and then uh, Zephaniah. But Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13 says, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? And Habakkuk is giving God a complaint in this passage of scripture. He's basically saying, why are you even looking at these bad people? Because as far as I know, you're not even able to look at evil. You're not even allowed to, able to even see evil in your life. Now, first of all, if you go back to my note in my Bible from many years ago, this is a verse that tripped me up because when I read this, one of the first times that I read it, I challenged my, I didn't challenge myself, but I, I, I challenged the thought. It says that God cannot look on evil. In this particular translation, it says you cannot look on wrong. But it says you who are of pure eyes than to see evil. God cannot see evil. God cannot look on evil. And in my mind, when I first read that, I thought, well, wait a minute. I serve an omnipotent God. He can do anything he chooses to do. Why would he be limited in this way? How could I declare that he is limited? Why would Habakkuk say this? And I would, I would tell you that as I have meditated on this and chewed on this and tried to understand the nature of God and how God relates to human beings, this is not a statement of any kind of lacking on the part of God. This is not a statement that God has any weakness. This is a statement that says God, who is holy, 
will not allow any evil in God's presence. End of discussion. So it's coming from a, a position of power. It's coming from a position of authority. It's coming from saying, this is the line, you shall not cross it. Now, having that understanding of how God relates to us, now let's go to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is written by David, King David. Psalm 51, it says right at the top, somebody look at their Psalm 51 chapter, I mean, verse one, and just above verse one, you'll see something written there. What does it say in your Bible? Somebody say it out loud. A prayer of repentance. Anybody else? Okay, that's the first verse, but is there? Okay. Okay, say that a lot, really loud, Craig. To the choir master, a song of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So this is a psalm of repentance, one of you said, and this, this little note that's at the top of Hebrews, I mean, of Psalm 51 says, this was to the choir master. This was a, a psalm or a song that David wrote following the time that Nathan the prophet came to him because of the sin that David had committed with Bathsheba. Now, we don't have time this morning to go through the whole story of David and Bathsheba and Uriah and Nathan. But you remember in that story, David lusted after somebody else's wife. David used his position of authority as king to bring that woman to him. He had extramarital relationship with her and then sent her home. And then she let him know that she was pregnant by him because her husband was out fighting a war. So what did David do in his panic to not get caught in his sin? He brought Uriah, her husband, home thinking that they would sleep together and then everyone would think that it was his child. And Uriah was an honorable man and wouldn't sleep with his wife because he said, I can't do that in good conscience when all of my brothers are out in the field fighting. I'm not going to take the pleasure of being at home with my wife. And David's like, ah, so he gets him drunk. And tries to do it again. And it still doesn't happen. So David sends a note with Uriah back to the battlefield saying to Joseph, to Joab, make sure this one dies. Then a baby, then he brings Bathsheba in his home. A baby is born. And Nathan comes to talk to King David. And all of a sudden David recognizes that he can't hide his sin. Now, he never denied the sin. Inside, he knew that he had sinned. But he recognized he could never hide the sin because God was bringing it to light. And, and we don't need to go into the rest of what happened there. But understand what was going on, or not understand, but let's talk about what was going on in David's heart from the moment he brought Bathsheba into his bed. See, it wasn't necessarily sinful that he was tempted. He looked, he saw her bathing on the roof. He went, whoa, pretty beautiful woman there. That was not sin. 
But when he decided to have her brought to him, he then crossed the line into sin. Now, knowing what we know about God and God's nature and how God interacts with human beings from what we just read in Habakkuk, what happened between God and David from the moment David brought Bathsheba to his bed? The relationship was warped, twisted, damaged, broken. And how, what happened? God said, you crossed the line, buddy. And unless there's some repentance, unless there's some restoration of relationship, we're not in fellowship at this moment. And David, being a man after God's own heart, had to feel this sense of loss and grief and remorse, but didn't know what to do with it because he was the king and he didn't want to be, he didn't want to get killed and he didn't want to, and there's all of this just going on. No peace whatsoever in his heart. No joy at all in his life. And finally, as a prayer of repentance, once he gets confronted by Nathan, he cries out, have mercy on me. Verse 1 of chapter 50, of, of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. And he goes on and on and on until verse, <coughs> excuse me, 10. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. You see, he knew, he recognized that the intimacy that he had known with God for so many years was damaged to the point where he no longer felt close to God. He said, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And that statement right there, restore to me the joy of your salvation speaks volumes to me about what was going on in his heart. David, we know from all that we've ever heard about him, was a man that loved God and served God. He's declared as the man after God's own heart. He was God's choice to be the king of Israel. He cho- God chose that David's family line would bring about the Messiah. David was a key player in the whole plan, the overarching plan of God. They had an intimate, tight, one-on-one relationship between David and God. And this sin that David willfully chose... Broke that relationship. Now, let's bring it into the real. Okay? Somebody who's in your life. I don't know who they are. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your sibling. Maybe it's just simply a close, close friend. And they sin against you. To the point where it has destroyed the trust that you had in them. What happens in your heart? What happens in their heart? And see, what I see here is that, that in this, in this situation with God and, and David, this wasn't this holy, righteous, pure, undefiled God going, get away from me. What I see here in my heart is God going, David, 
Why? How could you do this to us? How could you? And David going, I'm, I, I don't. I, and there's this separation. Human relationships can experience it too. I want to get back to what we had. I want to experience the joy that we shared together in our righted relationship. Please, what can we do to make this right? And God makes it very clear through the prophet Nathan, the one thing you can do to make it right is you can confess that sin and you can repent of the sin. And from that point on, then we can get back to what we're doing. And this is exactly what David is saying here in verse uh, uh, whatever it is, 10, excuse me, verse uh, uh, 12, excuse me. Restore to me the joy that I experienced when I was in right relationship with you. Which means the joy was gone. This state of being that he had known for so long was gone. It's not just, God, I want you to forgive me. God, I need to be cleansed in your sight. It's, God, I want to be back where I feel comfortable in your presence. I want to be back where we can just sit quietly in each other's presence and there's nothing between us. There's this, just this sense of peace and comfort and joy just being in, your, in, in the room with you. That's what I'm talking about as joy being in a state of being. But it's more than just a state of being. Bring up the next slide. It is an action. If you go to Philippians chapter 4, bring the next slide up. Philippians chapter 4, Paul very clearly says to the people of Philippi, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And then he gives a whole bunch of things. Don't be anxious. And everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Well, in the peace of God, but he's, the very beginning, verse four, rejoice. It's so important. I need to say it again. Rejoice. Well, how do you rejoice if it's a state of being? A state of being that's put on you. See, this, this idea, this is a, a different way of looking at joy. This is, I am acting out joy. <clears throat> is it possible? To rejoice regardless of what you're actually feeling in the moment? Can you just do it out of obedience? And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm not playing here. I'm just asking, just trying to get us thinking through this. There's, there's a scene in one of the classic Christian, I'm classic Christian, classic Christmas movies, Miracle on 34th Street. And it's the end of the movie, and little girl Susan has been disappointed by Santa Claus. She wanted to get a house. Santa didn't give her the house. And she even said, I, I know you couldn't put it under the tree, but I thought at least there'd be a letter or a pack or a package or something to give me directions to where the house would be. And mom says, No, Susan, you need to believe no matter what. You've just got to believe no matter what. And so they're driving, following the directions Santa Claus gave mom and dad, and she's sitting there going, I believe. I believe. It's stupid, but I believe. And what I hear in that is almost this. Rejoice in the Lord always. It's so important, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. You may feel sick today. You may be physically in pain today. 
You may have found out yesterday that your whole world is crashing because someone you desperately love has cancer and has been given less than a month to live. You may have found out that your spouse just got laid off and it's a week and a half before Christmas and there's not going to be any money to pay for anything for Christmas. But you're here this morning worshiping and praising God. Why? It is an act that you do because it's commanded. As as silly as it sounds, that literally is saying, be joy-filled. Be joy-filled. Rejoice. Think about it. When, when, When Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt, they weren't in the promised land. They still had 40 years of walking. But what was the very first thing that happened after they got across the Red Sea? Miriam led all of the women in a song and dance. Yeah! Yeah! We're rejoicing! It wasn't the end. They weren't in their homes with their vines and their beautiful gardens. But they were still rejoicing because that's what's expected of people of God. Wherever you're at. Now, tying in with that, this last one, it's a choice. Go ahead and bring that last two slides up. Joy is a choice. What's the, what's the scripture that came with it? Oh, don't tell me there wasn't one. Like I said, the internet and I are not friends. Turn to Habakkuk. Just bring up the regular, the, the, the devotional slide. We've got to get this fixed. Habakkuk chapter 3. Remember, it's just before Zephaniah. Chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. The last three verses of the book. Habakkuk says, as he's praying to God, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor there be fruit on the vines, though the produce of the olive fail, And the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold. And there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread On my high places. And the thing that that you need to hear in these verses. Is that regardless of the circumstances you're facing. Regardless of how bad your world might seem. There is at least one thing that you can take joy in. And if nothing else you need to intentionally take joy in that. It's an act. You are in right relationship with God. You have hope. Maybe not in this earth. You may not ever see another good day while you're on this earth. But that does not negate the fact that you are a child of God who has a promise of eternity with our Father in heaven. And if nothing else happens... You can take joy in that. And that goes right back to what the angels were saying. I evangelize you with joy. 
I bring you good news, which will be for all the people. What? You're going to have great crops this year. You got a $25 raise. You're getting moved to Hawaii and you're going to live in a beautiful place. No, that's not what any of this was about. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all of humanity. Unto you is born the Savior. God has put into place the plan to bring about the healing of humanity. The fall of human, humankind is being righted. Why? Because God found it necessary for his only son to come to this earth. To empty himself. To die on a cross. To be resurrected. To be again seated at the Father. And then eventually to come back to bring us back to be with the Father. That's the plan. And the announcement that the angels made was the plan has been put in place and it is moving. As Evelyn said, God is moving. You may not see everything. You may not be experiencing it today. But whether you feel it or not, you can choose to act out of joy. Knowing if nothing else, if nothing else, this is my hope. Let's pray. Yeah. Father, in this season, as we are focused on Christ and, and Christmas and the hope and the angels, God, give us opportunity to speak this truth to people around us in a way that is not offensive, in a way that does not uh, cause any rejection. But Father, let us just share the joy that's in our own life. And Father, if we are struggling because of sin, help us to confess and repent. If we are struggling because we just don't feel it, help us to do it because you expect it of us and just do it anyway. And then finally, help us to recognize, regardless of what's going on in our world, if nothing else, we have the hope of Christ. We have the hope of our salvation because your word has declared it. And so we give you praise this morning and we give you thanks and we give you honor in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.